You are listening to the Genesis Podcast, a community of faith, love, and hope. As we look to the scriptures, it is our desire to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. We are concluding our series on the journey. Because next week we are going to be starting our Advent Conspiracy. It is that season. I can't believe it, but yes, the Christmas season has come upon us. And so we are going to to step into that season and celebrate the birth of Jesus, not just in recognition of his birth, but in celebration of the life he gives and how that life influences us. And, you know, I had to to narrow down these people who I wanted to talk about in this series because of the limit of time. But there are so many people I would have loved to talk about. It would have been great to talk about Moses, to talk about Nehemiah, Daniel. Uh, It would have been great to talk about Mary. Uh, There are so many people that we would have loved to just seen in their journey. And one of the things we see throughout the scripture are these people who have lives that are, are powerful and impacting are people who are involved and committed, right? Everyone whose life we celebrate in most of the scripture, what it does is engage with people who are engaged. And that should be in itself something that speaks to us. If we're going to have lives that are worth fitting into the story that God is writing, they have to be lives that are engaged with the things that God is doing. And so we're going to end with Paul, and I can't think of really a better person to end with. Paul is responsible for over three quarters of the New Testament. We are here really directly because of the work that Paul did on behalf of Christ. And it's amazing to think about the impact that this one man had. I remember when I first came to faith in Jesus and I started reading about Paul through the book of Acts and I thought, man, I would like to be like that. It's someone whose life just compelled me. Like, how can I live a life like his? And Paul himself would say, You know, he is just a man. There's no reason we can't. But we're going to see why his life is so powerful and the journey that Paul was on. And so let's start at the beginning. Let's start at Acts chapter 7. Starting at verse 54, and we'll read through Acts 8 verse 3. Stephen has just given this incredible message, but he's given it in response to the persecution that they are facing from the Pharisees. And he basically blasts them, telling them that you're responsible for taking the life of the Messiah, just like your forefathers were responsible for taking the life of the prophets. And that doesn't sit well with them. And that's where we pick up in verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this 
They covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voice, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. It was their way of explaining death because death for a follower of Jesus isn't the end. Chapter 8 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so here is the beginning of Paul's journey. Of course, it's before his name is changed from Paul. It is Saul. And we see from the very beginning that he is a person of action. He is a person who wants to see things done. And so he is involved in a very hands-on way, bringing persecution to those who are followers of Christ. Those who are considered on the way, he is going there and he is bringing persecution to them. And Paul talks about this himself. He talks about the zeal that he had in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, talking about all that he accomplished. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so this is the beginning of Paul's journey. He comes onto the scene, a person who is opposed to the work of Jesus, a person who's not just opposed, but who's taking action to bring it to an end, to stop it. And he's stopping it by taking men and women into prison. He is there, they are laying their coats at his feet when Stephen is martyred, the first martyr of the church. Paul is an eyewitness to that. And Stephen, as he's about to be stoned to death, actually represents Jesus quite well as he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, just like his Messiah said on the cross. And so we see Stephen carrying his cross, bearing witness to his faith, and we see Saul on the other side of that approving of that and then continues furthering that. And, and so we pick up the story of Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what the church was called, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless and heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Notice this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Sounds like a good time, right? Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul is an interesting story, because we see Jesus himself reveals who he is to Saul. He stops him in the middle of his life when he's going to do what he believes is the will of God and persecute the church. He stops him, reveals himself to Saul, and Saul is left blinded. And then Ananias comes and he calls him brother Saul. And so the one who he is going to imprison is the one who now comes to him and now gives him the ability to see and liberates him. And as we see this, it's amazing to read about Saul's life and to see who he was before he came to this encounter with Jesus and then to see who he is going to be after this encounter because we see the character that he has is still there. The zeal that he has is there, but now it changes. It moves from persecuting those who are followers of Christ to actually trying to reach those to be followers of Christ. And, and what do you do when everything that you've lived for becomes trash, when all the things that you were hoping in, all the things you were having confidence in amount to nothing and you are made aware of it. And Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain 
Christ. You see, early in Philippians, he's talking about all the things he had confidence in. He was circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews. All these things were going for him. He has status. He had position. He had authority. And now he has nothing. And those things that were so meaningful to him, he now says, they're just trash. What do you do? When you come to a crossroad in your life and you found that everything that you're building for is garbage. And, and you have a choice. You can either embrace the fact that you were living a lie and own who you were and deal with the shame of it, or you can ignore it and keep living a lie. So many times the hardest thing for people to do is to enter into a place where they acknowledge that they were wrong. The pride of life mounts up and we don't like to admit it even to ourselves. And the hardest thing sometimes to do is just come to a place where we recognize, you know, I've been living a life that has been failing and I need to make a change. And you have to make the painful choice not to continue living that lie. You see, we have to understand that you can fail and not be a failure. In fact, most people who go on to any kind of success have failed more than once. It is the road to getting to recovery. And so Paul is in this place. And when the scriptures look back on all the, the men and women who they were a part of God's working, whether it be Abraham, whether it be Noah, whether it be King David, in Hebrews 11, it gives them this incredible recommendations of being these great people talks about abraham and he's a man of faith and all the great things he did and there's no talk about that whole sarah's my sister thing you know twice you know he doesn't that doesn't come back up david is talked about as a man after god's own heart there isn't the mention of that whole adultery murder thing even samson gets a pass Right? Samson, you know his story. It seems like when God looks back, he doesn't see the failure. He sees who they are now in his purpose. And so Saul comes to a place where it looks like his life has been a failure, but really it's about to turn around. But unless he embraces this, unless he owns it, he can never take on the new and so he has to move from here because a leader is someone who is willing to learn and someone who is willing to trust and you see if we want to be people like paul if we want to have an impact on the world around us like paul did then we need to learn from him even in this situation how he was able to humble himself, embrace the fact that everything that he was living for to this point need to be cast aside so that he could take on something new. 
We need to be willing to put away the things that are holding us down so that we can walk towards the things that can actually set us free. And that is what Paul did. We, we read a little bit more about what he did in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, For after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So before he got on the circuit to start preaching for 14 years, he waited. Then he went to talk to the apostles, those who were Jesus's followers, to make sure that what he was doing was on track. 14 years. He waited. He learned. He studied. What do you do when your world is rocked? What do you do when all the things you've been studying for and living for amount to this is not the right way? He had to find out, well, what is? And so he had this zeal and this desire to now know the truth. And it turned his life upside down. And it affected everyone who he encountered. Because this was a change that had taken hold of him. And now he was going to pursue this change. And after these 14 years, we see that even after his encounter with God, he maintains his character, he maintains his zeal, he maintains his personality. He is a man who is driven because that's who he is. You see, God is trying to reach you so that you can be who God has called you to be. God has set each one in the body as is fitting. We are all members. We all have gifts. We all have potential. You are important to the work of God, to the story of God. And God wants to take all of who you are, all those things who are part of who he's created you to be, and he wants to use them. Maybe you've been using them for the wrong things like Saul was, and maybe there needs to be that change to, from Saul to a Paul where you need to move forward and change the direction of your life because it's important. Now, in this journey... This commitment to Christ, remember at the beginning he said, I must show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. And so throughout the book of Acts, we see the accounts and the sufferings that Paul encountered, imprisoned, beaten. And we see kind of a culmination of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22, it says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This is Paul's story. This is his journey. It is filled with this kind of encounter. Five times beaten, three times with rods. Like there's a difference. To me, I would just be, I've been beaten. Okay. I don't distinguish between lashes and rods. To me, it's just a beating. Not just shipwrecked, but three times. In danger, wherever he goes, and it doesn't stop him. It doesn't slow him down. And when Jesus said, I must show him the things he must suffer for my sake, these no doubt are a part of the things that he is suffering. But he ends it with the care for the church. This desire for the churches. And you see, what God is doing is actually redefining what suffering means to Paul. He's changing Paul's perspective and he's understanding things in a whole new light. He's coming to a place where he sees the will of God and it is what consumes him. Reaching people for, for Jesus' sake is now his primary goal and desire. It's above his own safety. And it drives him to do all the things that he does. We see one example, or another example, in Acts chapter 14. We see that Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. And in chapter 14, starting at verse 8, it says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been there that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul had, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lasonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only humans like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in the seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy, even with these words 
they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So here they are wanting to make them gods. They are wanting to worship them. He runs and he starts telling them that's not the case, that God has brought us here to bring this to you, this news. We are nothing but men. And he gives a message very similar to that that he gives in chapter 17 when he goes to Athens. He's talking to them in a way that they can understand. But notice in verse 19, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Verse 20, But after the disciples had gathered around him, He got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for debris. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Get hold of this. He is there. They want to make him gods. He stops them. We're not gods. God has brought us here to bring you this message. Some people turn the crowd on him. They stone him, think he's dead, drag his body outside, leave him there for dead. The apostles go out there. He's still alive. What does he do? He goes back into the city. And then he goes and he continues to preach. What do you do with someone like that? How do you stop someone who cares that much for this message that even beating him almost to death does not stop him. What is driving him to do this, to act like this? Later on, Paul and Barnabas go before the Jerusalem council on behalf of these people, the Gentiles, the ones who nearly killed him. And they say, God is reaching out to them just like he did to the Jews. Peter is there and he talks about the episode with Cornelius that we talked about last week. And Paul and Barnabas, on our behalf, on the world's behalf, goes to the church in Jerusalem and says, they are a part of us. And don't put restrictions on them that we ourselves could not bear. And so the Gentiles are now brought in to the understanding that they too are the children of God and salvation through Christ is extended to them just like it is to us. And Paul is advocating this. He's going there on our behalf. You see, this is something that consumed Paul and all the things that he did. It was something that was so important to him that everything else paled in comparison. And so he could go without food. He can go and and deal with the elements and he could be hungry and he could be beaten because there was something of more value to him than his own life. What did Jesus say? If anyone seeks to find his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, we we read this story where Paul speaks to the man and, and brings healing to him. And we think, oh man, I would like to be able to do that. 
Well, notice what it took for Paul to be in that situation. Okay, yeah, he, he did that, but then he got beaten to death. Are you willing to do that? You see, because that's it. God is not going to entrust power to someone who does not have his heart. God is not going to entrust someone to that authority who does not have his character. If we want the power of God, we first need the love of God. We need the character of God if we are going to behave like the children of God. We want the power. I want to be able to bring miracles about. I want to be able to do these things. Do you want to live for him? Above all else, will you count that cost? Because that's part of the package. And this is all the things that Jesus has shown that he must suffer for him. And even at the end, when Paul has been imprisoned, he's a Roman citizen. He has the right to be a free man, but he entrusts himself to Jesus and he wants to take this gospel all the way to Caesar, but he just does it through the prison route. And we see in chapter 26 of Acts where he actually goes before Festus. He says, and he was saying these things in his defense. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, are you out of your mind? Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Because he was talking to him about Jesus and Jesus being risen from the dead. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For he has not been done, this has not been done in the corner. All the miracles that Christ has done and the, the things that Jesus has done, you know about these things. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, you would persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul says, I wish that you could have what I have. Wait a minute, Paul, you've been beaten. You don't have much money. You're, you're dependent on people for your livelihood. You've been shipwrecked. You're cold. You're hungry. What, you want them to be like you? How can you say something like that? Because I know who I was when I had everything else. And now that is garbage in comparison to what I have in Jesus. I wish you could know what I have in Christ. You see, this suffering has been redefined for me. This thing that I am doing here has so much value and meaning. Later on, he would say in Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You see, he believed this. It owned him so he could do all the things he did because he knew who he was and he knew who he belonged to. And so these things he considered momentary afflictions, lightweight in comparison. What, what drives us? What pushes us to want to become more? What is the thing that's consuming? Who are we living for? What are we living for? 
What is our vision? Because this call to Christ is not a call to just a belief. You believe something. It's a call to a life where you live something. And so when Jesus would say, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. He, he was meaning those words. It is going to cost you. Cost me what? Your life. Your passion. Your dreams. Your actions. The things that you pursue. It's going to cost all of that. And if it doesn't, then who is he to you? Because if you don't, Love me more than mother, father, brother, sisters. You're not worthy to be my disciple. What does he mean by that? He says, I'm calling you into a life that you must engage in wholeheartedly. And that sounds terrifying to some of us. I don't want to join a cult. You're going to make me drink some juice and do something weird. I'm not the one who's calling. Jesus is. I'm not asking you to do anything but Jesus will ask you to do everything. And you think, I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm scared to do that. I understand the fear. Paul understood the fear. But you see, in the middle of it, he could say, it's not worth comparing. Festus, I wish you were like me. I wish you, King Festus, had what I, this prisoner, has. What a picture. Here is a king talking to a prisoner, and the prisoner is saying, I have something that is beneficial for you. I have what you need, king. And he means it. And he believes it. And it shows up in how he lives. At the end of his life, Paul is writing to Timothy, his disciple, Chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. This belongs to me. I've done it. I, I've lived for him Completely, I've run this race. Years ago when I was just a boy, I remember a few things from that time when I was about five years old, I think. Just because I remember where I was living, that's how I kind of gauged the age. And I, I remember my grandparents' house. Certain moments I remember. I remember for some reason they had a big hole in their backyard and me and my cousins would run around the hole and one of my cousins fell in and we thought it was like the end of the world. He was doomed, you know. Back then, it seemed like the hole went to Hades. I mean, it was just a huge hole. I don't, still don't know why that hole, hole was there. I remember they had an old turntable, you know, one of those big turntables that had the big speaker in it where they put the records on. And I remember taking and putting my finger on I was going to be like the first DJ, you know, and start scratching. And so I started turning the table turntable backwards but I broke it 
I was ahead of my time. If they would have just followed me, I would have set this whole DJ thing on, on, on a new course. But I broke it, and I remember having to, to pay the man who fixed it with silver dollars. They were actual silver dollars, which really, that was a foolish thing for my parents to make me give up those silver dollars. Those were probably worth hundreds of dollars now, you know. It was like $4 at the time, but those were my silver dollars, and I remember that to this day. I'm not bitter. I just remember it. <laughs> I also remember one time watching TV. My grandfather was there, and I remember it being evening, and I don't know if it was the news or, or if it was a, a live event, but I remember watching just some of the civil rights happenings that were taking place. And I remember seeing these black men and women being hosed down with fire hoses. And I remember seeing them just being brutally treated. I I remember asking, what's going on? Because I was just a kid, like, what the heck is this about? And I remember him telling me, well, they're wanting their rights to be able to live in this country like the rest of us. And something happened in me there. I saw that, and it made me want to be like them. I, I want to have the faith that will suffer like that because I want something so bad that I'd be willing to endure. I, I want something to be that meaningful in my life so that I can live for something that it would be worth the brutality of going through. I, I want to have something that important in my life. And, and you know, as a little five-year-old kid, I, you don't digest those things. It's just an imprint in your mind. It just stood out as something. This is something that is more important than their life. And then I, I read about Paul, and I see that imprint again, and I say, there is something more important than my life. There is a life to be lived that is worth giving my life for. Because all the questions, all the searching to fill the needs, all the wanting of satisfaction and to to deal with the why am I here and what is my purpose and how how do I find something that will satisfy my soul Paul is the example of that. He was doing everything that he thought he could to live the right life. It turned out to be trash, and he was willing to let it all go. All the prestige, all the power, all the potential for what was really life. And at the end, he could look back and say, I've run the race. I'm getting ready to be poured out. I wish all men could be like me except for these chains. You see, that's what I want. I want Jesus to be so important that nothing else is important in comparison. I want Jesus to be so in charge of my life that I am willing to go and do whatever he asks me in spite of the discomfort to me because somewhere there's going to be a little kid looking and saying, what's life about? And they will see you living the life. And it will leave an imprint on their mind, their heart, 
their soul that there is something worth living for. There are causes that you can give your life for, and there is a God who is worth giving your entire life to. Paul's journey is an example to us all of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to live our lives for Jesus. And I can't help but think that when Paul is there saying, I'm ready to pour out my life, that he remembers that there was a young man at the very beginning named Stephen who poured out his life. And Stephen, when he was there, he remembered his Savior who said, I'm pouring out my life. And so we have the elements here to remind us that we are in a long line of people who have poured out their lives following the example of our Lord and our Savior who poured out His life. You see, Jesus didn't ask us to do anything that He didn't show us how to do first. And so this table represents that life. What He suffered for us. And He's calling us to this suffering. I know this isn't something we want to hear. Oh boy, I'm being called to a life of suffering. You're being called to life. And in it, there's suffering. Make the choice to live. So we're going to pray and then we'll have you come up and take the elements. Jason will come up and sing a song. Remember, just dip the bread in and then you can take it and you can go back to your seat. But let's remember the life that was poured out for us as we pour our lives out for him. Father, I am thankful for men like Paul who have shown us what is possible if we would love you fully, if we would live for you fully. And I pray, Lord, that his example would motivate our hearts, seeing all that he went through and considered it joy, that that he at the end of his life, did not regret giving his life for you. Lord, we are not in his situations, but there are so many things, God, that we need to surrender. There are so many areas where our lives are being held back. And Lord, as we come to this table, may we remember you held nothing back. And you are inviting us to be partakers of your life. And this is where it starts. So we thank you for the example that you gave, that Stephen gave, that Paul gave, that millions have given, living for you. Lord, might we continue living our lives, continuing the story that you have set in motion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on up and go ahead and partake of the elements. Let me end with Paul's words here. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, he says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. 
Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May you know the love of God that is beyond your ability to comprehend. May it grasp your life. May it forever be changed. May you live your life for the one who gave his life so that you could live. God bless you guys. Have a great day. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.